And they, and they, you think why animals don't prey? These harbour seals. Harbour seal right in front of me. And then the next one, which is the last one, praying as well. Praying as well. There we go. Animals do pray. I've got the proof right there. I hope you enjoyed that. If you want to see the other 7,900 sometime, just let me know. All good. All right. We come to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Looking at the Beatitudes. Back into the Beatitudes this morning. The Beatitude this morning. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. So this is the fifth beatitude that Jesus spoke to the crowd on that day and this beatitude is different from the previous four. Kind of take your mind back, the previous four beatitudes have focused on the state that the person was in. So Jesus is not saying, right, that we aim to be poor, that we strive to be sorrowful, Oh, who wants to be like that? Or we try to be meek, or we start, try and stir up within us a hunger for righteousness. No, Jesus is saying, if you are in that state with those first four Beatitudes, right, then be blessed. Because God is such a gracious God, this is what he is doing for you, and this is what he has in store for you. Jesus wasn't saying in those first four Beatitudes, become like this and then you'll receive God's favour. But if you find yourself in this position, right, then you have the confidence and the faith and the trust that this is what God is like. If you remember our Hebrew words, when you consider yourself as a nobody and a nah, when you consider or you have nothing, ani, when you have lost someone or lost something, nor then you can turn to God and find that in and with him you have a relationship that will be beyond all your thinking and imagining. That person, Jesus said, is to lift their eyes to the Lord, to focus their attention on God, put their trust in him and discover that they are of immense value. I'm always, when I read scripture, I'm always trying to imagine, you know, the audience that was there at the time when they heard Jesus speak these words and thinking of these, you know, desperately poor people who are struggling every day and what a wonderful thing it would have been for them to hear these words of Jesus. You are of immense value to God. Society may not consider you of being much or having much, but God, you are the apple of, of uh, God's eye. We now move into the second of the, of the Beatitudes, the second set, I should say, and this set is more concerned with the effect, the effect that is produced on the lives of others, the lives of others. So this one, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I'm not sure whether this happened to you when you were growing up. I'm sure if you had children, perhaps grandchildren, I'm, not, I'm sure even kids do it today. But I remember just reflecting back, I was thinking, you know, growing up, having a brother or a friend or somebody, right, and they would grab your arm and they'd grab it really, really hard and you'd say, mercy, 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 mercy. I don't know if kids still do that today. Give me mercy. Perhaps it was just my brother and sisters that did that to me, maybe. <laughs> Jesus surprises us, actually, with this statement because it's not the statement that we would expect him to make in this way. 
Blessed, we would expect him to say something like this. Blessed are you if you are showing mercy, for then you shall receive mercy. That would seem more in keeping, perhaps, what we would think Jesus would say. Show mercy, and then you shall receive mercy. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who have already received mercy, for... They will show mercy and they shall also receive mercy. And that's true when we think about it, isn't it? If we are the recipients of mercy, then the natural consequence of that is that we will be merciful to others. If mercy has really, really got into the very depths of our soul and we know God's mercy in our lives, God who is rich in mercy then the natural outflowing of that is that we shall be merciful to others. Being merciful is not a requirement of a person before they can come into a relationship with God, but those having already knowing God and knowing Him as their Saviour and putting their trust, trust in Him, having received mercy, will then show mercy toward others. The original word here means generous in doing deeds of deliverance. See, it's an active word. Some of the Beatitudes that we've seen previously are a little bit more passive, but this is an active thing. Generous in doing deeds of deliverance. And Jesus says, right, if you are in that state, then oh, what bliss, the blessedness, oh, how happy you are. For you shall receive even more mercy. It echoes Proverbs 14.21 where the writer of the Proverbs said this. Happy are those who are kind to the poor. So mercy is about action. Action. Action that delivers from bondage of guilt. Deliverance in the sense of healing or giving. I think you've probably heard this, but I think it's good to mention again, and I'm not sure whether he came up with it originally, but Chuck Swindoll says that grace is getting what we don't deserve and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And interesting too, when I was thinking about this this week, mercy is the very first quality which Jesus says will be produced in a person who has a relationship with God. I would have expected Jesus to say love or faithfulness. But he says mercy, mercy. When a person comes into a relationship with God and they know God who is rich in mercy, one of the very first things that changes in their life that will produce a change is that they will be merciful toward others. Which then means that it's no surprise that mercy is one of the most prominent features of Jesus' teaching, Luke 6, 36. Be merciful the way your Father in heaven is merciful. So then can we test ourselves? Can we examine ourselves, as Paul writes, and examine ourselves and, and think to ourselves, am I a mercy-filled person or am I not? 
So let me pose these questions. I ask them of myself. Are we quick to forgive? When others do us wrong, when others hurt us in some way, a word perhaps or some action, are we quick to forgive or do we hold on to a grudge? I'm going to get them back. <laughs> Many of you grandparents, you've heard that song, haven't you, from Frozen? Let it go. Let it go. You're sick of it, I know. I'm sick of it too, but anyway. Let it go. There's a truth there. Let it go. Many times Jesus stressed our need to forgive others. So much so, he says, that the person who cannot forgive will not be forgiven. Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And if forgiveness is to be real in our lives and forgiveness is to be shown to others, then it must come from our heart. It cannot be the case that we read this beatitude and go, well, if I'm like that, then God will be like this to me. As if, you know, I've got to force myself to be that way, to do something that I don't really want to do just to receive God's blessing. It must be real. It must have meaning. It can't be, I've got to force myself to forgive that other person and then I will know the forgiveness of God. No, it goes much deeper than that. So just quickly, I want to have a look at what mercy is not, what mercy is not. Mercy is not letting someone off. It's not a case of, you've done something wrong to me and so now you're free without any punishment to be inflicted, just letting people off. God never lets people off. His forgiveness has real significance and meaning for us because he takes our sins so seriously. And since he takes our sins so seriously, then it must also be the case that he takes forgiveness seriously. When Jesus walked along the road and he found a man, perhaps who was blind or a man who was crippled, and that person cried out to Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on me. What were they asking? They weren't asking, God, just let me off. Let me off. They weren't even asking, forgive me. They were asking of Jesus, change me. Change me. Take me out of the state I'm in. Deliver me from this and make me into something that is better. Jesus on the cross demonstrates for us that there's a cost to deliverance. There's a cost for forgiveness. When we see what God has done for us in Christ, that the length that he has gone to in the death of his own son, that we might know and enjoy his forgiveness, that it becomes personal to us. As one scholar said, the cross has got to get into you. I like that. The cross has got to get into you. 
then forgiveness changes us inside. There really is no forgiveness which doesn't have at its heart an absolute condemnation of the sin being forgiven, but also tied to that, a deliverance from it. Those two must be there. It's not just an excuse. I may be excused, but just being excused doesn't bring any change in my life. Just being excused perhaps doesn't bring any change in the person who's offering that to me. And of course, if I'm just being excused for something, oh, don't worry about it, it didn't really matter anyway, guess what's going to happen? It's not going to change me and I'm going to be prone to go back to do those very same things that I did before. Forgiveness only occurs when a real wrong has been committed that that real wrong has been taken seriously, that that real wrong has been forgiven, and that I have been delivered from it. Look, it's in the news, right? We're seeing it every day, aren't we? Youth crime. If there's no real deterrent to youth crime, well, I'll just go and do the same thing again. Really? If they're just going to let me out, well, I'll go and steal another car tomorrow night. That's being excused, see? That's not enough. Forgiveness, forgiveness now, pays a price. And there's a cost to it. Easy forgiveness, and I'm going to call that just being excused, is no forgiveness at all. If forgiveness is easy, it means that the wrong being done really has little significance. So trivial that it doesn't really matter. And in that case, it doesn't really need to be forgiven. It just needs to be excused or even ignored. Before you and I can know and experience the forgiveness of God, we have to be real about ourselves. I'm a sinner. God, I need your salvation. I was having coffee with a friend of mine. Went through high school with him just last Friday morning. He asked me this question. He said, Neil, how is it that I've grown up in a Christian family? We went to the same youth group, Brighton Baptist, together. But my two brothers won't have anything to do with Jesus. My friends are Christian. Why is that? I've pondered that question before. You've perhaps pondered that question as well. And I come down to this. People will not turn to God until they recognise they have a need of him. That's it. That's it. I don't need God. I'm doing it my way. Sure, there's struggles and trials, but that's okay. I'll survive, right? But when I know my need of God, when I realise, right, there's something inside of me and it needs to be changed, and I call out to God, and I say, God, have mercy on me, and God right there says, yes, Neil, yes, 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 that's what I've been waiting for, then there will be real change in me. We do this because of God, who is rich in grace and mercy, and who loves us. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
God has not forgiven us in Christ on the cross, then we're doomed forever and we shall forever be strangers to God. So mercy is not ignorance. Mercy is not brushing it off, excusing it. And mercy is not pity, is not pity. Pity can be a cause for regret or disappointment. It's that feeling of great sorrow or compassion caused by the suffering or misfortune of others. We can have pity on someone where it stirs up within us some emotions of disappointment or sorrow, yet we may be moved not to do anything about it. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. But I don't do anything. See, pity is never enough. All the stories that Jesus told about mercy reveal that mercy is shown when one person comes to another person offering forgiveness and bears the cost of it. Interesting, I was thinking many of the stories of Jesus, when he talked about mercy, they involve money. Mercy comes at a cost. When there is real forgiveness, there is a cost to be paid. And the stories that Jesus told were usually of a huge amount of money that was owed by, uh, from one person to another. Let me read to you, Matthew chapter 18, 23. Jesus speaking. For this reason, he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. And then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. And then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. And when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. Now, reading different commentaries, people have different amounts of how much this, um, how many, you know, this talents was worth. The bottom of my Bible here says it was 15 years. Another version I read had it as over 200,000 years. So whatever it was, right? It's a huge cost, huge cost. No way that this man could pay the debt. He, his wife, and his children were to be sold as slaves. 
And so the slave falls at the feet of the king and he pleads, pleads, give me more time, I will repay it. There's no way that he could repay it. The king moved with pity, released him and forgave him of his debt. But then that same slave went to another who owed him 100 denarii, which is equal to about 100 days' work, grabbed him by the throat and demanded his money. The slave fell at his feet, pleaded with patience. But he refused to give him more time and threw that man into prison. Others saw what happened, reported it to the king, and he said, you wicked slave, I forgave you all of your debt because you pleaded with me. Should you have not shown mercy as I have shown mercy to you? And then Jesus finishes it with this, this story says this, So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, many times we hear this story, right, and we concentrate on the amount. What a large amount it was and what a small amount it was. But let's not forget this. In the master forgiving his servant the very first time, the master had to bear the cost of forgiving whether that be 15 years or 200,000 years or whatever, it's a massive amount of cost. The master had to bear that cost. It's the same with companies today who write off debts. When they write off a debt, it's just, it doesn't mean that there's no cost to the company. It means that they have lost some profit. Mercy is not ignorance. And mercy is not pity. Mercy always involves a cost. God is rich in mercy and it cost him to forgive you and me of our sin. And the price that was paid is the death of Christ. His, de his suffering demonstrates to us God's love toward us. And if we're honest, the cost that God made to save us is a cost that you and I will really never know, perhaps, until we get to heaven, maybe, the depth of that cost. To be forgiven of all of our sin, past, present, future, took an incalculable cost to God and places a solemn responsibility on you and me that Having received this mercy from God, God now says, right, go and be merciful to others. And of course, that's the second part of that story, right, that the slave didn't do. How can it be that having received forgiveness over such a large amount that he wasn't willing to go to his slave and to forgive such a small amount? The slave who had experienced such great mercy when it came to the other person, he applied the law, which demonstrates that you cannot have it both ways. You cannot be a recipient of mercy and yet demand law of others. For the world, the environment in which you and I live is the same, the same world and environment that we should give toward others to say I've received mercy but I want you to live by the law thou shalt not 
you should not, you must not. Well, it's just crazy. It doesn't make any sense at all. If it's mercy that we really want not to receive what we really deserve and to come to God who is rich in mercy, having forgiven us of all of our sin, and for God to give at great cost to himself his own son, that you and I should be the recipients of his mercy, then we must go to others and be merciful also. It is the merciful, Jesus said, who receive mercy. Those who have received mercy are filled with mercy. If our life is to be one of living in mercy every day, then we shall be merciful toward others. Not because it's an obligation that God puts over us, but having enjoyed, having experienced God's mercy, we will want to be merciful toward others. So merciful action toward others, shown here in this beatitude, is a concrete expression of our loyalty to God. This made me think as, as I was reading this this week. What God requires is not so much our activity toward him, said one commentator, but showing loving kindness toward others which will benefit them. For this demonstrates our trust and our faithfulness to God. And then the same person goes on and rewrites this beatitude this way. Blessed are those who, like God, offer compassion in action, forgiveness, healing, aid, and covenant steadfastness to those in need. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to really grasp, to really take within us, to experience, to know we have a God who is rich in mercy, abounding in love, steadfast faithfulness. Having experienced that and, having, and, and living within that every moment of every day, how can we carry grudges or bitterness or even hatred toward others? We come to you needy this morning, Father, because we need your spirit to do a greater work in our lives, to show mercy to those who have maybe are and maybe will hurt us to, but not to respond with the law but to respond with mercy bearing the cost and demonstrating love there is forgiveness 
we give you our thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We stand as we... uh... You've heard of the endurance of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. For through him, you have come to trust in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith, your hope are set on God. Amen.